Okay, we're kicking off a new sermon series, Are We Going the Right Way? And I gave this song to the worship team, and you can sing along, but it's going to rock your world. Oh 
Amen. How about that? How about we bring a little Bono in here? And I don't know, I don't know about you. Some of you might be sitting here, Pastor Joe. I don't think Bono belongs in church on Sunday morning. Hey, if there is a better place for Bono on Sunday morning than church, you let me know. Bono, I don't know about his music, but Bono belongs in church on Sunday morning. And if you didn't see the lyrics of that song, then, then you didn't understand that kid clearly went to Sunday school. Because he was salting it with the gospel. I'm not saying he's preaching the gospel. I'm not telling you he's walking with Jesus. I'm just telling you he's been there where we are. In that place where we're doing this new sermon series saying, are you going the right way? And you're saying, why are we doing a sermon series about are we going the right way? Because sometimes we are searching and searching and searching for something and we still haven't found what we're looking for. Sometimes we go to church, we go to church, we go to church, and we still can't find what we're looking for because we're trying to just fulfill ourselves. We're trying to meet a need in our heart that is shaped exactly like that cross. And isn't that yarn amazing? Wow! MJ is incredible with her stage sets. And I, and I appreciate that. But that's the shape of the hole in your heart that's hungry for God. And even as you surrender to the God, and even as you say, Lord, I hear you, I see you, but I know Ah, there's still something more. I'm missing something. Not like I'm going to go to hell missing something, but there is something. God, I know I'm, I'm walking with you. I'm, I'm just waiting on that next thing. Now, some of you, I was in a conversation this morning. Some of you are like, yeah, I'm waiting for that next foot to fall. You know, we got the COVID. We got the political situation. We got the racism. We got the, all the isms that need to be wasms. But all of a sudden, that next foot's going to fall. And this, no, 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 no. No, no, no. We need to start thinking hope. We need to start thinking life. We need to start thinking renew. We need to start thinking near. We need to draw near to God. We need to draw nearer to God. Nearer, my precious Lord. If I can reach into the hymnals for my past, nearer, my precious Lord, to thee. Why would we do a sermon series called Because of That? You ever been somewhere where you're headed that somewhere and all of a sudden, for no reason whatsoever, you looked at whoever you were traveling with and you said, hey, are we going the right way? No, really, you've been there. I know you have because you're a human being and you traveled with a human being. I, man, I was headed home from, um, from Texas to Ohio one time, long before I was in the ministry. And uh, about two o'clock in the morning, I turned uh, the driving over to a good friend of mine. And uh, um, when I woke up, because um, I was taking a little bit of a nap and the road got a little bumpy and he was headed up 55. You know, you come across 44 and then, you know, you hit 57 and you hit 55 and then you hit um, 70 um, and like that. And man, man, we hit 55 and, you know, I'm like, hey, okay, I'm, I'm going to go off the bridge on the Mississippi River or something. So you drive. And I, when I woke up, I looked up and there was a big green sign. He said, 45 miles to Chicago. Well, I just want you to know that I know Chicago is not on the way to Dallas, Texas from Dayton, Ohio. It goes like this, and Chicago's up here. And I woke up, and the first words out of my mouth are, are we going the right way? And my friend said, I'm not really sure. I think I missed a turn back there. I said, about 80 miles back there. You know, and I'm that guy that when you get in the car, uh, typical male. I struggle with all the maleness that you malenesses struggle with, okay? It's a typical guy. 
It's like, no, we're not stopping for you to go to the bathroom. Go to the bathroom when we get gas. You don't understand, I passed that truck. I'm not passing that truck again. It, it will humiliate me. I will be embarrassed. You know, it's like, no, this is NASCAR. And if, if you don't believe me, just go get on 75, okay? Even when there's ice. It's crazy. But that's the way it is. And sometimes we say, hey, are we headed the right way? Well, the same thing is true of your relationship with God. You can be traveling, and you, your, your goal can be heaven. Your goal can be God. Your goal can be a right relationship. Your goal can be that. And you can be doing all the things, but still not headed the right way. Because so many times we bring in our expectations and our filters and we're like chasing after God with our view from behind. And yet we left that view to find something new, but then we get to something new, we say, well, that's not the way we used to do it. That's not the way it's supposed Well, if this was the way we used to, are supposed to do it, why don't we stay there? And I'm not trying to smack anybody in the head. I'm just saying that as human beings, we need to let go and learn. And that's why we say here in the, in, in the, in the vineyard here, hey, just sit down and talk to me. What does the Bible say about what the Bible says? And then how shall we live? That's what I want to know. How shall we live after we learn what the Bible says? I want to I wanna start, I'm going to do this whole sermon series out of the book of John because I just want to study Jesus from the book of John, uh, the letter that was written, the gospel account that was written for Gentiles because we're all Gentiles. But I'm going to take you to the book of Matthew to get started because I want you to see the scriptures that open up my eyes that begin to make me say, hey, am, am I doing this right? Are we doing this right? Are we headed in the right direction? But in the book of Matthew, chapter 10, uh, beginning at verse, excuse me, chapter 11, beginning at verse 1 and reading through verse 10, it says this. After Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, okay, so he gathers his disciples together, he calls them out. He's got, you, you understand Jesus has got like hundreds of people following him, right? Not just 12. Hundreds of people, okay? Um, and, and he gathers and he, and he picks 12 and he says, you're going to be my disciples. And he says, and this is what we're going to do. And then he sends them out. So here it is. After Jesus had finished instructing the 12 disciples and he sent them out, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John heard in prison, John the Baptist, John is in prison now, okay? Because John got in the face of Herod. Okay, here we go. When John heard in prison what Christ was doing, he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? This is John the Baptist. Do you know anything about John the Baptist? You know he ate grasshoppers? I mean, you know that? Just dip them little suckers in honey and fricassee them right on the fire, and they're a little crunchy, but they're good, you know, supposedly, locusts and honey. Um, Cincinnati, the, the zoo, they, every time there's just like a swarm of locusts, they have a big, you know, um, cicada meal that you can go eat. That's nasty. But for them, it was good. Real high in protein. This is that John. This is that John. Well, let me just read it to you. Okay? And so they asked him, should we expect, or he asked, could, should we expect someone else? And Jesus replied, you go back and report to John. Please go and encourage John that what you have heard and seen. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised. So the dead are raised. At this point, something was going on because he's saying the dead are raised, not going to be raised. And the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Blessed is the one who does not desert the church, does not desert Jesus 
on account of Jesus' teachings not being something that they can rationalize, believe, or understand, or are not willing to give themselves over to. But it goes on. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. What did you expect to see when you went out into the desert? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, 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 no. Those who wear fine clothes are in the king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes! I tell you, and more than a prophet, this is the one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. And that's the scripture that I want to use to launch this sermon series and tell you this is why we're doing this thing, okay? So Jesus has given instructions to his disciples and that's what's going on. And he's sending them out and they're going to share the message, the gospel, the good news, the kingdom of God is here. And at this point, our boy John is in prison. Now, I don't know if you know about John, but John's birth was as miraculous almost as Jesus. Not quite, because he's not like the Son of God, okay? But his parents were, what does the Scripture say? Well past the childbearing age, okay? And so his mother, Elizabeth, got pregnant when she could have no children. She'd had no children all of her life. And um, she was six months into that pregnancy. Her husband could not speak because he was, well, just an idiot. And he shot off his mouth at an angel. Don't shoot your mouth off at angels. Don't doubt angels. Just say yes, sir, to them. Okay, if they show up, if you can talk and not just fall over dead like John did in his vision. But at the end of the day, here we go, okay? And so when John is six months in the womb of his mother, Mary gets pregnant with Jesus. And when Jesus launches his ministry, he goes down to the Jordan where um, John is baptizing people, telling them the kingdom of God is coming, the kingdom of God is coming. And as Jesus walks up, he says, behold, the Lamb of God. He points right at him and said, behold, the Lamb of God, okay? I just would like it if my children, when I walked in the room, would say, Behold the patriarch of the Wood family. I just, I just, you know, it's like rise for the gray hair when they walk in the room. It's a biblical thing in the Old Testament, you know, but they're kind of like, oh, we're New Testament now. Sit down and we'll pass you the mashed potatoes. And it's like, well, okay, but I tried. That being said, this is John. And John's in prison, and John's going to die, and John knows he's going to die. And if you read the story in a couple of the other gospel accounts, John stood up to Herod, got in the face of the governor, didn't shut up and be quiet and do what he was told. Called him out for his marriage because it was an illegitimate marriage. And as a result of that, his new wife had his head cut off. So John in anticipation of the fact that he knows he's probably going to die for getting in the face of Romans, calling them out and not being overtly nice, sends word back to Jesus, whom he has been preaching for the last couple of years, and says, I have a question to ask you, Lord. Are you the one? I've been chasing after you all these years, but am I going the right way? Am I doing it right? Am I embracing the fullness of God? And like I said, you can apply this to your marriage. Am I embracing the fullness of marriage and what it should be? Am I embracing the fullness of my job and what I can get from it? I was the kid for once in my life. I was a C and D student through high school. But in college, Bible college, I was the A kid that was ruining the curve for everybody else. Because I wanted to get the most that I possibly could out of that experience because I knew what I had been called to do. 
and I needed it all. I needed the information. I needed the education. I needed that so that I could do what God had called me to. I needed to get it right. In the face of John the Baptist, knowing full well that Jesus was, he asked that question, are you the one? And isn't that the where we all are in our lives? I've buried so many people in my life just as a pastor. This is my third pastorate, but I've buried so many people. And it always comes down to, did I get my life right? Did I make a difference in this world on behalf of the kingdom of God? Will it matter that I was on this planet? Will anyone on this planet ever remember me and my contribution to their life? Did I shine for Jesus and did I follow Jesus? But here's the deal. Winning at life is not the idea that you can do enough good to outweigh your bad. Winning at life is not about did your good outweigh your bad like some people think it is. See? That's not what it's about. Winning at, about, winning at life is not about did you get divorced. It's not about did you kill someone. It's not about did you do drugs. It's not about, did you inhale? It's not about, I'm sorry, that was a little bit political, I apologize. It's not about, did you remain sexually pure all your life? It's not about, did you abstain from alcohol? It's not about, did you even sin? It's not about any of this. Winning at life is about having a close personal relationship with the God who made you, receiving his forgiveness for all of those sins and more, and knowing that he wants you in heaven, and therefore you live your life not to earn your salvation, not like, like John might be thinking, did I get it right so that I can be saved? Are you trusting in Jesus? Or are you trying, this is where we get it wrong, to trust in Jesus to get the things you want? Or am I, am I trusting in Jesus? Or am I trusting that it will help me get the things I want? There's a lot of people out there. Scripture says there's a lot of people out there doing good things, trying to get into heaven and it's not going to work. Winning at life is about your relationship to Jesus lived out in community. That really is where it is. I'm walking with Jesus. In the book of Revelation chapter 21, the scripture says, nothing impure will ever enter it, being heaven, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. So what's the qualification? When you meet God in heaven at the great white throne judgment, and he's sitting right there, and you walk in there, and he says, Joseph Wood, good to see you. Hold on a second. And he looks over and says, is his name written in the Lamb's book of life? Notice that he doesn't say, well, you didn't do this, you didn't do this, you didn't do... He just simply says, is your name written in the Lamb's book of life? Did you surrender your life to God and are you going to continue to live it out? Not work at earning it, but live that out. Paul says, only let us live up to that which we've attained. We got saved by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now let's live like we're saved walking with Jesus Christ. Check this out in the book of Luke. This is what Jesus said. However, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you. There's something that we're going to end up talking about in this sermon series. Spirits submit to you. You don't submit to spirits. Spirits submit to you. 
When you say back off, they back off. When they show up, you don't get scared. Sorry, I'm headed down a road that's not written on my paper. Lord, don't rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. So what does it mean for us to be getting life right? It's going to begin with you and I coming to a moment of surrender and our names being written down in the Lamb's book of life. Not did you just say the right things, but did you get up out of the water and begin to live it out in very practical ways, even when it doesn't make sense. If my job requires me to do something that the Bible says is sin, I don't care what the job is. I don't care how pure the motives are. If my job requires me to sin, then there is a place for us to say that that is not a job for Christians to take. And we've got to wrestle with that. That's my belief. And I'm happy to wrestle with it. Okay? But we don't surrender to our ability to understand how God did what God said He did. We surrender to what God said He's doing and that He wants us to join Him in. See, we've got to, as much as Pastor Jeff wants to wrestle with hell, we've got to wrestle with Jesus on a regular basis and say, what are these teachings? How am I treating people? In the Scripture, John the Baptist, the forerunner, his cousin, his family, his, the baby born miraculous, said, behold the Lamb of God. And he wanted to know, was he getting it right? This guy was humble enough not to just jump up and go, no, no way, I don't believe that. He was humble enough to say, hold on a second. Did Jesus say that? Then I probably need to reorganize my life to that. Even when it doesn't make sense. We've got to wrestle with this idea of what it means to follow after Jesus. We've got to stop and ask ourselves difficult questions. Legitimately ask yourself, Am I more mature in Christ now than I was last year? Am I more mature in Christ now than I was five years ago? Can I look, not, not yesterday, because listen, we all fall, right? Don't, don't look at your sin, oh, Lord, I sinned, and say, well, I guess I backed all the way up past that. No, no, no. Are your feet pointed pointed toward the cross, and are you walking in that direction? And when you're sin, do you have enough sense to get up and say, Father, please forgive me? Because I promise you, everyone in here sins, including your pastor. And I have to get up and say, please forgive me, God. My attitude, my actions, what I saw, where I was, what I wanted to do in my dreams, that really didn't come out the way I wanted it to. But not that. It was a different situation. <laughs> okay, we're going to go on. Okay, so, Lord, we see that it says in the book of Romans, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, then you shall be saved. So I just confess and believe. But you've got to understand that confessing back then meant you were going to lose your house, you were going to lose your land, you were going to lose your property. The Apostle Paul the guy who actually said this was the one that was putting people in jail for saying it, for confessing it out loud. And believe in your heart doesn't mean to academically acknowledge that Jesus must have been the Son of God because that's the only way it could happen, so I guess I believe. No, no, no. Belief means I follow after and do the things that he did. 
I listen to what he says and he talks to me and I go do those things in the life of other people because the Bible also tells us that the realization of our salvation brings an expectation of transformation. And that's the word I'm looking at. When I look back a year, when I look about two, when I look back ten, is my life being transformed into the image of God? And am I following after Him? Does it reflect a new and growing spiritual habit? New and growing spiritual friendships? New and growing ministry opportunities? New and growing compassion to see people come and know the Lord Jesus? Because the Scripture says in 2 Corinthians, therefore, if anyone is in, uh, uh, in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone and the new is here or has come. That's, that's, that is straight-up transformation. It means you're not the person that you were before. It means you recognized and you, you connected with the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. In your baptism, when you came up, you weren't Joe Wood anymore. You weren't Angela anymore. You weren't Jay anymore. You weren't. You were Jesus' son. And God sees you in the, in the sacrifice of Christ. And it's not like... The righteousness of Christ lives in me and then I sin and it doesn't. Then I don't sin and it does and then I don't. It never goes away. He always sees that righteousness inside of you. Because all of the debt that it was going to take for all of the world, for all of eternity, was shed on that cross one day. One day. There's nothing else to give for our sin. The scripture says we confess our sins, he'll forgive us. It doesn't say if we beg him for forgiveness, he'll forgive us. It says when we recognize we sinned, when we recognize we shouldn't have looked at that, when we recognize we shouldn't have said that, when we recognize we shouldn't have printed that, when we recognize we shouldn't have pushed send on that, um, when, when we recognize those things as sin, God says, yep, but Joe, it's forgiven. You know that, right? It's forgiven. Get back up. Don't stay down. Don't beat yourself up. Don't start down that road where you're a worm, you're worthless, you're awful. You, God can't use you. No, no, no. You are called by God to be children of the Most High. God wants to use you. The question about Christianity is when will you let Him? That's the question. That's the burning thing that says, are we going the right way if God's not using me? Or if I'm not doing what Jesus is doing on this earth, if I'm not plugged in, if I'm just bouncing from church to church to church. Listen, sooner or later, I'm only going to teach you the things that you've already been taught before, right? I mean, realistically speaking, Jesus spent three and a half years with his disciples and said, okay, you got it all. I'm out. The Holy Spirit's going to tell you the things that you're missing. Three and a half years. How long have you been coming to this church? We're heading to year 13 for Vineyard Community Church in Richmond, Kentucky. Hallelujah. 13 years I've been preaching Christmases. He was born. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> Who are you telling? Who are you reaching? But it also tells us that we're supposed to be transformed. We're seeing, I mean, statistically, I mean, we're talking polls. Polls taken by Barna, polls taken by other polling situations. 50% fall off of church attendance. Not just people stay home and watching on home. I'm talking about fall off at home, fall off in the church. People aren't coming back. Listen, wake up, you sleeper. Rise from your sleep. God is calling to you. It is time to come together. It is time to recapture the vision. It is time to stop being distracted by all the sicknesses, all the politics, and all the personal wants around us and come back to, I'm a Christian. I'm born again. What does God want? How can I plug in? Where are we going, Jesus? 
Yeah, that's what we're doing. We're building a hope food pantry for anybody that is going to be in need of some food. We've got to keep going. You say, but you don't have to go to church to be a Christian. I agree with you 100%. But if Christ lives inside of you and God lives inside of him and you've got this commune from heaven going on inside of your heart and Jesus said, I'm going to build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. He's going to build the church. Why wouldn't you want to gather together with them and be a part of it? Because God is doing it. Church attendance, let me just say it this way. Church attendance is not the all in all for defining Christians, but it is a strong all capital on my page indicator of what's going on in your heart. You can disagree with me and I'll be happy to sit and talk with you, but we do the things that we believe in here. We do. We really do. And when I say church isn't important, I just made a bigger statement to the people around me than I want out there. It is important. We're family. Yes, we're going to bump heads. There is, there's no way we can be human beings and not bump heads and disagree and get mad at each other just like I did my little brother. Just like I do my sisters. I did. Did. If you're watching, it was did. I don't ever get mad at you again. Did. I'm going to get phone calls. Um, yeah, but we stay at it together because we're on point. We're on mission. We've got a thing that we've got to do here. We've got to keep going. We're doing this ser uh, sermon series because as a shepherd, I hear and see a lot of things that are going on. Things that the church, they call themselves a church, but they're not connected to Jesus or to the Holy Spirit or to the mission or to a community of faith. But more and more, they're connected to attendance and you know, rationalizing how this and this is okay with God. And I know you're tired of me saying that, but I'm just telling you, we live in a world where it's getting easier and easier and easier to be caught up in the rationalizations than it is the relationship with Jesus. And I want you so desperately caught up in that relationship because of what it's done for me. Jesus said that anybody who wants to be my disciple in Luke chapter 9, he said to all of them, whoever wants to be my disciple, check this out, has to deny themselves, take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever wants to lose their life for me will save it. What good is it for somebody to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? And that means eternally. Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes to his glory and the glory of the Father and the holy angels. And then again, Luke said, before you decide to come be my disciple, large crowds were traveling with Jesus and turning to them, he said, if anybody wants to come to me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters, yes, even his own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. We know that that word hate doesn't mean despise, it means love less. I don't know why they don't change that if they're going to change it, but here's the deal. It's not Joe, Janice, Jesus, children, job. It's Jesus Joe and Janice, children, job. That's the priority in my life. God has to be first even if it costs me my life. And I have to be willing to let go of it. Whoever does not carry their cross, whoever does not count themselves dead, whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and you're not able to finish it, everybody who sees it's going to say, this person started to build, but they didn't get to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he's able with 10,000 men to oppose the one coming against him with 20,000? And if he's not able, 
table, he'll send a delegation out while the other one's a long way off and ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you that don't give up everything you have cannot be my disciples if it's not God first. So it comes down to that moment. It comes down to where we are in that time. Oh, here's number five. This is where I need to be. It comes down to that. And so for the next couple of weeks, we want to look over what John says that life is all about. What does it mean for me? It doesn't mean I should live in fear of my salvation. You should never, ever, ever live in fear of your salvation. God is not asking you to do it all. He's asking you to do your part. That's, and and he sh he's kind of shared through us with our parts. But when we don't know what our part is, God is saying, just be in relationship with me where we can sit down and you can pray and fast or read your scriptures and you can hear God say, hey, this is the part that I want you to play. Would you come play this part? Would you come join me in what I'm doing? Because deny myself, have you recognized that our sin separates us from God? We live in a world of self-help, even in the churches today. And I believe in mental health more than people will admit, but getting help is important. But the kingdom of God is about sacrifice. And it always has been. Jesus and his disciples lived that out. So we deny ourselves. We take up our cross. Have you thanked God for the sacrifice of Jesus by surrendering? Is there an ongoing change in your life? Have you confessed with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and now he has the right to ask anything of you that he wants to? Does he? Does God now have the right to ask you to change careers? Does God now have the right to ask you to move across the nation or across the continents? Does God now have the right to ask you to give up, to downsize, to let go of? Maybe God's asking you to build up, to grow, to, to be a little bigger. Does God have the right to invite you, to ask you, to speak to your coworkers? For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever wants to lose their life will save it. Take up your cross means count yourself as dead already. You're dead. Your life, it's gone. Now you're the new person in Christ. What does Christ want me to do? Follow me. Notice it doesn't say, and then I will follow you. And Jesus said, and then I will follow you. Jesus doesn't say that. Jesus has come. Follow me. So what is he doing? Where is he? Really, on the earth. What is it he's doing? It doesn't say, Jesus said, tell me what you want, and I'll make it happen. It says, follow me. So from here on out, even if it doesn't make sense, Jesus' way all the way. Jesus' way, all the way. That's where we are. Jesus followed God, and what God was doing when he saw that, he said, I only do what I see my Father in heaven doing on this planet. That's what we're going to do. So many Christians, so many churches, so many me sometimes are doing good things, but maybe that's not what God's asking. Maybe it's not. Follow me is a close, personal, daily relationship with Jesus Christ that begins with acknowledging my need for Jesus Christ. It costs us even our lives. Is that true of you? Is that true of your relationship with Jesus? Because I believe that God still talks to people today. Seriously. I really do. I believe that he asks them to repent. Christian people. Hey, you need to repent from that. He's not, he's not condemning us. He's just saying, hey, step up your game. Come on, come on. I believe that he asks us to love. Hey, I know they kicked you in the shin, but I need you to love them. And we don't like that. It's not American. He asks us to go. Well, he's not really asking me. He's asking somebody else, right? Not me. But he asks us to go. He asks us to go speak to people. Ah, I'm not a speaker. 
Welcome to Moses' world. Okay? You still have to go. Be careful. You don't want to spend 40 years in the wilderness missing what God was doing. And he asked us to give. He asked us to give our time, our energy, our gifts, our talent. Man, sometimes there's people that have been here for five years, and all of a sudden, on their way out the door, they're moving to another state, and they're like, yeah, I play the guitar. It's like, what? Yeah, I've been playing all my life. It's like, you didn't tell MJ? Seriously? You didn't tell MJ? It's like, yeah, I love kids. I love teaching kids. Yeah, I love serving. I love hospitality. Yeah, I love greeting people. Your gifts and your talents are just as important as mine just as important as mine. I do not think that I'm more important to you. So the question is, what is God asking of you? What is he asking of you today? Are you going the right way? Are you going the right way? Or are you just going to church? See, I believe that God is asking some of you to step it up. Some, he's asking some of you to surrender your life to Jesus. He's asking some of you to, to finally decide you're going to be a member. He's asking you to plug into a church. He's asking you to, to do all kinds of things spiritually. Get into a small group so that you can grow in relationship and community. Because we are a church of small groups, not a church with small groups. Your small group leader is your, your initial pastor. I'm, I'm the pastor of the church, and when your small group can't meet your need, they come to me and they say, we got to help these people. And man, I'm ready to go. Put on my cape and let's do this thing. Because we're going to do it together, and it's amazing. But what's he asking of you this morning? Because I believe he is. There's no doubt in my mind. Every single one of you in here knows that God just said something to you. Because he's asking something of you. You can apply this to every area of of your life are you going the right way you can ask yourself is it good is it fun I can afford it I'm capable but should I be doing it, it doesn't even have to be sin but should I be doing it I think it's time to surrender more than anything in light of the the, the condition of the church as we see it around the world myself myself Paul says, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I gossiped, I talked about all the little things, I talked about stuff, I talked about owning, I talked, I talked about material possessions, I talked about Xbox, I talked about all the things. And then we begin to talk about people when we get older. We call ourselves adults, but we begin to gossip. We begin to demonize them, we begin to talk about them behind their back, even our friends. And then, when we finally grow up, we talk about ideas. We dream. We talk about our dreams. We talk about what could be if. And then we choose to believe that it could happen. I talked, when I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. Let's spend 2022 drawing near to God and following Him. That's our word for this year. Near. Not near if it makes sense. Not near if it doesn't cost me anything. Not near if I just don't have to, you fill in the blank. Let's just draw near to God. What's the next step for you to draw near to God?
Let's don't make our lives about fitting his teaching into our lives. Let's make our lives about forming our lives to his teachings. And watch what begins to happen. Let's do that. Let's pray. Father, as we come before you, we thank you and we praise you for the blessing of who you are and what you're doing. God, I stand here because I'm crying out to you. You have led me. You have brought me. I am confident of my relationship in you, but I still haven't found what I'm looking for. God, I want to sit on the mountain like Moses did and talk to you. I want to buy you dinner like Abraham did and visit with you about what's going on. God, I want to I write music to you uh, like David did and sing it out in my closet. God, I just, I want you to, to, to reach over and grab my hand because you're sitting in the room with me. And Holy Spirit, today we said, come. Come, wreck our lives. Because we still haven't found what we're looking for. And whether it's our marriage or our relationship to you, we want to know we're going the right way. We're going the right way. Break our hearts change our minds. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm going to get down off this stage. These people are up here to pray for you. You need Jesus? We're here for that. We're here for that. Something else going on? We're here for that. But I know God's been speaking to you. I'm going to get down off this stage. We're going to pray for you. We're going to sing this song, and then we're going to go wreck Central Kentucky. God bless you.